Well, my name's Roger. I'm one of the leaders of the church. A warm welcome uh, from me to Dorchester Community Church. And in case uh, I forget, I do want to say a warm welcome to Matthew, Nikki and Eric from America. Round of applause. Good to have you guys here. Uh, if you can't see them, you'll probably hear Nikki before the not too distant future. A big welcome back to Ivy, your first time here. And... Uh, also, I know Janine has been really incredibly ill and unwell in hospital. Janine, it's amazing that you're out of hospital and even here as well. So a welcome to you. There you go. I've remembered. Fantastic. Now, I wonder if you have got a favourite Disney film. If you've got a favourite Disney film, don't look at me as if you have never heard of Disney here. Come on, let's have a little bit of uh, rapport here. Have you got a favourite Disney film? And then I'll tell you what the three best ones are. Uh, but what, what's your favourite Disney cartoon films? Anybody going to put a hand up? Oh, Lion King, Dumbo, who is? Don't look at your husband when you said that, Pat. That's a bit... Elsie? Lady and the Tramp. Okay, yeah. What else? Anybody else? Jungle Book, fantastic. Anybody else? Mulan. Mulan. Oh, somebody who's a little bit younger trying to show off now. One more recent one. Who? What was that? Tangle. Tangle. Oh, right. Oh, oh, Tarzan, you say. No? Come up here. I can't hear. Tangled which is completely what I obviously feel, so that's not going to be one of my favourites. I'm sure you've seen a Disney film, and they're great, aren't they, to watch as families across the generations. Great humour in it. If you ask me mine, which you haven't, but I'm going to tell you anyway, I love Robin Hood. That film, It's not a sort of um, a one that maybe gets shown a great deal, and you've already mentioned about The Lion King and Jungle Book. I just love the music in that. It's so good. I'm so tempted to launch into song. But I'm going to save you that miserable um, uh, effort. The Disney film Aladdin tells the story of a poor outcast boy who rubs a lamp and is granted three wishes. Now, when Aladdin first rubs that lamp, the genie through a humorous song then explains to the boy, you've never had a friend like me. It was Aladdin's lucky day because now he had a powerful friend who could do everything. It's a staggering concept for us to mull over and maybe allow our, our minds to just sort of sink in uh, just uh, for a few moments. But we all know, obviously, it's just a movie. But just run with me in this. What if, what if God were that genie and were to turn up right in front of our eyes or your eyes this week? He would genuinely be able to see, to, to say, you've never had a friend like me. The truth is that according to the Bible, we can be friends with God. That's a staggering uh, concept. It's not a Disney movie. It's biblical truth. We can have friends with the one who created all things, including the likes of me and you. The one who can change the course of events. The one who is able to step in to difficult and tough situations. The one who is able to transform our lives from what they are to maybe something that they might yet be. And that is what we're going to be thinking about today, that whole concept of our being friends with 
God. David's mentioned we're going to be looking at the book of James. We're going to have a few verses read to us now uh, from Graham. So if you've got a Bible, uh, James chapter 4 is going to be read to us from verses 7 to 10. Thanks, Graham. Good morning. Um, It's humility cures worldliness. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. That's great. Thanks ever so much uh, for that, Graham. Now, they say all good sermons have three points. Well, I've got six here, which probably means it's going to be rubbish. But hopefully there'll be something for each and every one of you, regardless where you are at in your own journey. If I was to sort of give a bit of a a potted summary of this six-point sermon, it would be this. One, submit to God. Two, resist the devil. Three, come near to God. Four, wash your hands. Five, purify your hearts. Six, humble yourselves before the Lord. Amen. Let's close in prayer. That's one of the shortest sermons I've ever preached, isn't it? Round of applause. Who? One of the elders. How dare you, Paul? How dare you? Right, we'll have a conversation afterwards. This is a friend of mine. There's only two things that I tend to think are that difficult about the Christian life. Only two. One of them is getting started. The other one is keeping going. <laughs> the rest is easy. Getting started, there's that, that big resting about a decision we've got to be made, uh, to make, and that's hard. But then the keeping it going is difficult. James highlights those six things that are important for us about how we might keep going as a Christian. Easy. All we've got to do is follow what he says. All we've got to do is put into practice all the other stuff he says. Easy. No, it isn't. There's some real tough stuff that he says. And when we go through those commands that are not just one man issuing commands, but we believe that he was inspired by God's Holy Spirit as he wrote these words for us, surely our question is going to be, how? It's fine to read that stuff, those six points that I just rattled off, but how are we able to do that? And that's what I'm going to aim to seek to unpack uh, for us this morning. Now, it may well be that most people here uh, would call themselves Christians uh, and can ponder that how a question in the context of the fact that James was writing specifically to Christians. But I want to break off from that uh, firstly to look at what James' words may well mean for those who are unsure whether or not you're a Christian or not. Maybe you've had a lengthy church background, but you're unsure what this whole becoming a Christian malarkey is all about. Maybe it's all new. You, you come up, you've come into this somewhat new and you're wondering what it's all about. How does this God thing out there suddenly become real for you? And have we then got the courage to do anything about it? If any of those kind of uh, um, uh, responses reflect where you're at in your journey and how you're feeling, I want to say a special
special welcome to you because you're in a great place to seek to explore that we're here together it is a place where you can feel safe and love to pick up on a couple of those positive words that Tori shared about that weekend away but it's a place as well where we can say okay God if this is your word I'm here speak to me And you haven't got to put your hand up or say anything out loud, but from the bottom of your heart, you can echo that to God. And we believe this God is able to hear, but also to respond to whatever it is that your heart is saying to him. So we've got those six things. Submit to God, resist the devil, come near to God, wash your hands, purify your hearts, humble yourselves before the Lord. Three of those statements clearly relate together. Submit, come near, humble yourself. That word submit, the original Greek, I've no idea how you pronounce it, but I've got here a word that sounds like hapotagate. You're going to have to trust me on that, aren't you? Either that or look it up in a dictionary. means literally to align oneself under the authority of another. I think that's quite helpful. The picture is of an army in orderly arrangement under its commanding officer. One of the statements relates to our spiritual enemy, and he's probably more involved in in our lives or closer to us than we would dare to admit, or let alone alone very often be aware. Resist the devil. It's another military term that's used there, that word resist, anti-state, which literally means to oppose or to stand against. The other two things seem to imply us doing something about the wrong things in our lives. Washing our hands is an outward thing, and we've all been made aware of that over the last 18 months through the pandemic and about how long we should do that for. But then purifying our hearts, that's very much an inward thing. How is it that we're able to do all of that stuff? Well, I want to say this. It is impossible to become a Christian without ourselves coming to God without resisting the devil and without dealing with the wrong in our lives. So I want to be very black and white about where all these obvious bits fit together so we've got a context before we move on to maybe what James is meaning here for the church. So if we think about that wrong stuff and we don't need to again put our hands up to admit what we've done to everybody else but we live for an audience of one. There's one who knows the stuff that you've done, that I've done, but also the stuff that we're up against that we find it difficult to respond to in that holy way. When David was speaking about the holiness and purity of God, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, oh, that's a long way away from where I'm feeling. What about you? I mean, if you've already reached perfection, congratulations. Send me a postcard about how you achieved it. It's tough, isn't it? We know there's stuff that is not right. And although there's some obvious things we can deal with and put behind us, some stuff seems to remain there as a part of that nature of who we are in our being human. We sometimes use what we call an ABC here as a church. And I want to use that again today. We need to admit, that's the A, that there are areas that we've failed in, that we've wronged God. That's both in an outward way and in an inward way. I don't think I necessarily need to spell that out, but you can think about maybe some of the wrong stuff we've done. On the outside, the inward stuff, that heart stuff, is our thought life or maybe our unhealthy attitudes. It starts, this journey starts with us being honest with ourselves and honest before God. It ain't good enough to say, well, I'm kind of mostly okay when we're thinking about having a relationship with God or going to be in that place which is total perfection beyond this life. 
which we can only enter if we're either perfect or forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but all my eggs are in the second basket because I ain't got a hope of the first one. What about you? So if, therefore, it's important for ourselves to be forgiven, that starts with our admitting where we've made a little bit of a lash up of stuff. We need to confess and repent, do a U-turn. Uh, I think it was, it was this week where I was driving down the road and somebody obviously realised they missed a turning and instead of turning off and coming back in a different uh, way, this is uh, along here in Poundbury, I'll have you know, and somebody jammed on their brakes and right in front of me did a massive U-turn. It wasn't even one of those big area of spaces that we've got sometimes dotted around Poundbury. This was in one of the main roads. You're like, okay, thank you very much. Yes, I was that gracious to the driver in front of me i'm sure you appreciate okay so there's the admit bit what follows the admit there's something to believe and the believe is where the jesus thing fits in what he did for you and me on the cross and you may well have heard the phrase that jesus died for our sin i can remember when i was a teenager a mate of mine who was a christian saying don't you understand jesus died for you no i don't actually i had no idea what that really meant and what it means basically is this Instead of you and me being punished for that which we've done wrong, here is God's one and only son saying, let me take the blame. Let me take the blame instead of you so you can go free. All you've got to do is trust me. Trust in what I'm saying and trust in what I've done. And we might be thinking, there's got to be a catch. There's no catch. Jesus gave his life for you. And that's how, in one sense, we resist uh, the devil. We're in this spiritual battle, good versus evil, everywhere. You can see that uh, about our world, can't you? Earlier in this chapter, James speaks of the battle that rages even uh, within ourselves. God wants to save you. The devil wants to destroy you. God wants you in heaven. The devil wants you in hell. That's the bottom line. We've got a choice to make, whether we admit, whether we believe That thing of what the devil wants is actually what we deserve. The Bible says, for all have sinned. For all have sinned. The wages of sin, elsewhere we read in Romans 6, is death. What we deserve is death. Not death at the end of our lives so much as an eternal death. But the gift of God, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That's good news for us. We got the A for admit, the B for believe, the C is that sense of our own being willing to commit. Not by our own human effort, but by handing the reins over to the one who ought to then come first. Commit your life to God. Jesus said, not by my will, but let your will be done. And that involves what James speaks of here when we submit our all to this God to surrender we then come near to god in faith and it is all about faith god so loved the world that he gave his son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life it's all about faith the promise from james here is that he will then come near to us when we come near to him come near to god and he will come near to you. Now, I don't know about you, but 
I've felt in the past and I've often heard people from a non-church perspective say this to me. Well, if God comes close to me, then I would definitely come close to him and believe in him. That ain't what it says. It may well be a lot easier, but it doesn't involve any faith then, does it? If you've got that factually in front of you. And God's way is the way of faith. He invites us to first take a step towards him. Yesterday, and I'll try to not get emotional, uh, one or two of you know, yesterday afternoon I went back to, for the Thanksgiving service of the, uh, my previous pastor friend of mine, dear friend Gordon, that I worked with for years, and he died back in October, but there hadn't been an opportunity for the church to celebrate uh, his life. His wife and his kids were all involved in the tributes yesterday, and as a part of that service, they played certain snapshots of video of Gordon preaching, which was difficult, but also very moving. And it included within that the a, a part of the, the video of his last ever sermon, when he was fine, health-wise, two days before he collapsed under a heart attack and never regained consciousness. And there was a picture... Um, Uh, that then Gordon had put up as a part of his sermon that I want to share. Because it was a picture of a person paragliding. And he gave this illustration about that sense of what it takes for ourselves to take that step of faith, being like someone who's waiting to take off paragliding-wise. Now, yes, it may well be that the wing can catch you at any given moment, but generally speaking, the person who is in charge of that paragliding thing, whatever they call it, they have to first do what? They have to leap off of that cliff in faith that then... That umbrella that's above them, that chute that's above them, is going to then take them. And he then unpacked what a picture of faith that was. I want to honour him in regard to that uh, illustration, because it, it, it summarised for me so helpfully what maybe some of us may well need to recognise today. Maybe you've got your, uh, that, that paragliding outfit there, you've got the right gear, but you're just waiting there. For that to take you. Come on then, God. He's saying, just come. Just take that step. And so it is ourselves who need to then humble ourselves before this God. And then literally, he will lift you up, those verses say. God owes us nothing. When we demand, come on, God, do your stuff. Here I am, here I am. We've no right to dictate anything. Admit, believe, commit. If you want to own that i'm going to say a short prayer before we pause to sing a couple of songs and then i'm going to address you lot here as church so you're ready but let's pause firstly to pray and these may well be words that you may well want to share or to say uh, to god yourself if they are anything that rings true for you just echo that in your own uh, inside we don't uh, very often do this but we're going to do it because it seemed appropriate to me this week that we do that today God, I want to say thank you for those words safe and loved that those kids felt on that weekend away. Thank you that regardless of how we might feel, your heart, Lord God, is that we feel safe in who we are and that we feel loved. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you might help us to feel that right now, every single one of us. 
dear God, I admit that I'm not perfect. There's stuff that I've done that is wrong. I've felt not just your standard, but my own. I've hurt those around me, and I've got a whole bucket load of regrets. I ask you to forgive me. Jesus, I don't fully understand what you did when you died on the cross, but I trust that what you did was sufficient to take away all my wrongdoing, that I might go three. I believe you to that end. And right here and now, without knowing what may well be ahead of me, I want to commit myself to you, Lord God, because of your love for me and how you demonstrated that in Jesus. Come into my life. May I know that you're there and give me courage to know what to do next. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you've prayed that for the first time or words like that, we'd love to hear uh, from you afterwards. But we're going to pause and sing a couple of songs. The first reflects the words of this living hope, which I trust may well have come real and true for someone here today. And then we're going to sing about God's amazing grace before we move on. Please feel free to stand or sit and join in as you feel appropriate. Wow, what an awesome song, isn't it? Whether it's the old version of that hymn or that newer, updated, more contemporary version, the words are fantastic. Amazing grace. Okay, to those of us who are Christians, now, what is James saying and how do we then act in response uh, to it? First, we are, to, we are to submit to God. That's what verse uh, 7 said, which means we need to stop thinking that we can live our lives uh, our own uh, way. It's far too easy to come across a command in the Bible that we don't like and either ignore it or get the Tipex bottle out or move to another church which isn't going to talk about it. But either of those things isn't going to take away from the fact that these things are here for you and I and they're here for our good. We should be seeking to yield to God's commands even when they're difficult or uncomfortable. Submitting means our own being open to God to let him have his way upon us. We're told to resist the devil and he will flee from you. The fact that we are told to resist must mean that it is therefore possible to do so. So that ought to be an encouragement, especially when we feel those incredible powers of temptation. As James wrote about in the third chapter, we can gain mastery and discipline over our life. So we should be open to God, but closed off to the devil and his suggestions. And that means dealing with all sorts of things that might get in the way of our relationship with God. I want to mention a few of those. So pride, well, that isn't going to uh, be conducive to our own submitting, uh, is it? The whole thing of being able to acknowledge that we're wrong. Some of you are old enough to remember the football manager called Brian Clough, who won the European Cup with Nottingham Forest, believe it or not. Now, Brian Clough was well-renowned to being quite an arrogant uh, manager, although he was obviously good at his job with the results that he got. But on one particular interview, Brian Moore, the commentator on ITV, asked him this question. Well, what happens then, Brian, if then one of your players uh, kind of doesn't like the way that you're training or doesn't like the direction that the team is going in how do you respond to that sort of attitude 
And Brian Clough said these uh, these immediate words by way of response. Well, that's very easy. I invite the young man in. We have a chat about it. And then we agree that I was right. <laughs> Which I thought was a brilliant uh, off-the-cuff response. Pride. Undealt with anger. James speaks of quarrels, fights and slandering. Verses 2 and 11. We can't submit to God whilst we're holding on to such bitterness. Certain little monkeys can get caught out in the wilds when they're, 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 uh, they're reaching into a cage to grab hold of a peanut. And although they could be freed off and not caught by just letting go of the peanut, they can't let it go. And that's how they end up being caught. Not because they ended up actually in the, in the cage at all. The peanut's in the cage, but they won't let go. And sadly... There's a bad result. Selfishness. James speaks of us having wrong motives when we pray. We looked at that in chapter 3. Worldliness. Maria unpacked brilliantly last week what it really means to be uh, to have a wrong uh, friendship with the world. Not that we shouldn't be friends with people out there, but in terms of values and systems that are not fitting in with where uh, we're at as a believing group of people. It's easier to focus on being here in the here and now instead on the spiritual and on the eternal and then there's other sin that can be out there that can act as a barrier hence why james then commands us to wash our hands and purify our hearts cleansing your hands that was a common picture in the bible drawn from ceremonial cleansing in the old testament that was necessary for them to op- uh, approach god you can read about that in exodus chapter 30 Sometimes we might read in scripture of of there being the raising of holy hands. The symbolism as that we're then showing to God that our hands are clean. Think of it the way that we check the hands of little children. You know, have you washed your hands? Yeah. Well, let me check. And 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 the child's got to hold up their hands. And we can see pretty clearly whether or not they've actually washed them or not. Clean hands equals clean actions. Purifying your hearts also teaches us that God demands more than just those clean actions. God wants a clear heart, a clean heart as well. The heart represents our motives, our intentions. And in the, the preceding weeks, we've been looking at that. It's ridiculous for us to only try to clean up our act on the outside, but not clean our hearts when God sees both. <laughs> so hence the washing our hands and purifying our hearts goes together. The psalmist described this process as this in Psalm 25. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has a clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. James drives at such hypocrisy by calling such believers double-minded. Literally, that means two-souled. He spoke of the problem of our double-minded attitude back in the first chapter, verse 8. Wavering inconsistency. The Christian who is marked by doubt and instability. When we're trying to follow God but also seeking to pursue unhealthy desires, we are those double-minded people that James is referring to here. And each of us need to be on our guard so that we don't become one of those fake Christians Yes, in name, but the reality is we're not really because of the stuff on the outside as well as the stuff on the inside. The encouragement is to grieve. 
to mourn and to wail. That draws on the Old Testament call to feel bad for wrongdoing and to uh, repent way back in the book of Joel. You've got here verses verses 12 uh, to 14. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. Wow. Words that maybe we ought to be taking seriously. Turning our joy into gloom is not uh, suggesting that we're to live dull words, but it's a harsh words to those who don't take sin seriously. Jesus had a similar challenge in Luke chapter 6, where he said, Woe to you lot who are laughing now, because there will come a day when you will mourn and weep. So deal with the barriers. And if you're here today and you know there's a particular barrier, maybe it's a relationship, where maybe it's something that you're aware of that nobody else knows about, deal with that barrier. This is a safe place to give it to God and leave it there at the foot of the cross. Don't pick it up again on your way out. Leave it. Deal with the barriers. And then James invites us to come to God as you are. You haven't got to be experts. You haven't even got to be religious. Verse 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. I mentioned about that illustration, didn't I, of the paragliding. Prayer is that perfect tool for this. It doesn't matter about what words you use. Remember when I first became a Christian, hearing people who'd been Christians for years speak with all these long words and all these jargon things. I think I could never do that when people were just encouraging you to pray God looks at this just say what's real for you he knows it anyway but he loves to hear what it is you're really feeling and 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 thinking that's what we long isn't it for those that we love and that love us tell me what's on your mind tell me what's in your heart what are you really feeling and God longs for that too as well Jesus got up while it was still early and prayed in Mark chapter 1. The disciples asked Jesus how to pray. And that's where we get the Lord's prayer from, his response in Luke chapter 11. Paul told one of the churches at Thessalonica to pray continually. The first churches met every day and devoted themselves to prayer. The churches met every day to devote themselves to prayer. It wasn't the case of, oh, it's a prayer meeting. That's the one I'll miss, thanks very much. I'd rather go for the stuff that's a little bit more exciting. What happened, though, when they did that? If you read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, when that first church had been created, God moved, God answered, and people got saved, and communities were transformed. Isn't that what we want to see? Four of you. Brilliant. Isn't that what we want to see? Yeah, two right we do. And it starts on our knees. It starts on our knees. And it's not just that individual response, there's also that sense of corporate response, which is why as and, well, as and when we feel safe to come together again, it's good that we seek to be that people of God. There are a whole variety of reasons why not everyone is able to join us just now, and some of you I know are watching uh, online, and bless you for that. But if we're able, let's make this regular, that we get into that habit of encouraging one another The main thing is that the main thing stays the main thing. And that is we be the people that God wants us to be, which includes our mission to people out there that don't know anything of his love that you've tasted, as opposed to keeping that to ourselves. Come 
near to God. It's the same call that God has made throughout history to his people who've turned away from uh, from him, becoming friends with the world. This is what Zechariah chapter 1 verse 3 says, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord, and I will return to you. What a brilliant promise. But again, he's saying, will you return to me? And then, you see what comes first? There's no point in us just sitting there with our arms folded. And by the way, if you did have your arms folded, uh, that was just a, an illustration. Oh dear, poor Bushy sat right in front of me, had his arms folded. Well, we're never going to see him again, are we? I do apologise. I was looking in that direction at the time, wasn't I? There we go. He's not folded his arms now, but Graham, you are. What's the matter with you? Right, no, it's all right. We get the, sen- the, the sentiment, don't we? You know, so often we need something to jolt us out of that place of where we are, where we feel so fixed. God is just giving us that loving invitation. We do all make mistakes and fall back. Let's be honest about that. But it is never too late to come back to God. Never. That is good news. It may well be somebody's here this morning. You think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dip my toe in the water yet again. Or, or back after several years. doesn't matter. God is thrilled that you are here. A wonderful promise. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Come to God. He will be there. Seek after God and you will find him. Seek and you will find, uh, we remember Jesus saying. If you feel you have destroyed your own life or it's been destroyed by others, God will come to you if you come to him. It may well be that the set of circumstances remains unchanged. But our own view about how we deal with that and process that and are able to move on is going to be possible because you've got somebody on the inside there to help you and to lead you. It's that practical teaching, that whole invitation that, that Jesus came up with in that pro, um, pa, uh, parable of the prodigal son. You can read about it. That's a, a brilliant, brilliant story in Luke chapter 15. The son destroys his life through wild living. You can work out what that is. The father doesn't go after him and drag him home. No, but he's waiting outside the house each and every day, looking just in case his son may well return. We must come uh, to God. God will not fix our problems. God will not uh, make you to be his. But when we humble ourselves like that prodigal son did and think, and I think the Bible says when he came to his senses, when we had that light bulb moment, that wake up call and come back, who do we find waiting outside of the house? It's Father God with open arms. And there's a beautiful end to that story in regard to the prodigal son of what's then lavished upon him. No sense of judgment or tut-tut at all. When we humble ourselves, submit to him and draw back to him. God is waiting for us and draws near to us. Our father opens his arms and brings us back into relationship as his precious child. He says, my special son, my special daughter. Maybe it's been some time since you felt God say that to you. Hear him whisper those words to you again. That's the stuff that God is saying to the church. But those uh, two things that I mentioned there of, of deal with the barriers and come to God as you are, are very true and real for every single one of us that's here today. All that's watching online, all that's going to watch in some time in the future. Let's deal with the stuff we need to deal with. Let's come near to God. And we've got an opportunity to do that as we have a couple of songs and then following that, uh, Charlene is going to come and lead us in a time of prayer. And then we've got some bits and pieces. And then the kids are going to return and it's going to be bedlam. 
but it's going to be brilliant to have them back in here, isn't it? Okay, let's firstly respond to God in song. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Let's come together in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, why are we so unsatisfied? Why is it so hard to accept ourselves? We sin against you with thoughts and self-criticism. We often reject ourselves, even though you do not. We are forgiven, redeemed, beloved. We pray that you give us a heart like Christ. Help us to accept ourselves for who we are and embrace who you made us to be. Free us from the desire to copy others or to fit in. Let us not strive to please everyone, but to focus on what pleases you. Reveal our faults and virtues, then mould us, shape us, make us confident as children of God. Please work through us in acts of kindness, mercy and love. Help us to live a life that reflects and glorifies you. God our provider, you are holy and gracious. You sustain us and give our lives order and meaning. Thank you. You know all we need to accomplish. We pray all things we do to start and finish with your involvement. Remind us to be still in your presence. We thank you, God, that your love isn't reliant on anything we do, but on you and your sacrifice on our behalf. Help us to lean on you as our source of strength. We need your help to love ourselves and others the right way. You know the end from the beginning and all the details in between. Help us to trust you, see everything. And it is not always possible or necessary for us to understand everything. May we grow in wisdom, faith and trust, and walk in your will. Dear Lord, you care for us today, tomorrow, and everlasting. You shield us from suffering, and at the same time you give us the strength to bear it. Be the peace, God where we can calm our minds and find a tranquil place to gather our thoughts and rest in your presence. Fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit. And please bless all our ministries, our members, the visitors and our leadership, all who watch online and those who don't know you yet. Please also comfort those who are unwell in the time of struggle, those known to us and those who are not. We pray for blessings and healing. May we shine your light and love through us, and may your peace be with us at all times, in every way. We ask this in your mighty name, Jesus. The Lord bless you all. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that what you said through people like James thousands of years ago is still true and is still relevant to our lives this morning. 
Heavenly Father, where we have struggled to hand things over to you, where we have clung on to things that we shouldn't have clung on to, help us to give those things up. Help us to submit to you. Help us to bend the knee and admit that you have the answers to all of our problems. We cannot solve our own problems. Heavenly Father, where there are things that we have done, things we've said and thought that we wish we hadn't done, help us simply to hand those things over to you, to give them to you and to leave them behind, knowing that you are the God who loves to forgive and give us a fresh chance. Heavenly Father, as we go out into our week, as we go to work tomorrow, to school, to the shops, to see friends, help us to be people who are different, who have a different agenda, an agenda of love and mercy and grace and kindness to each and every person that we meet, not just the people we like and we find it easy to get on with, but to everybody. Help us to submit to you and to your ways and to your will for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.